Amen, Lord. We do. We give our life up to you. We renew our commitment to you right here, right this morning, Lord, as we did maybe many days ago or maybe many years ago, maybe even decades. We give our life back to you, Lord. You are our life. You became our life today. We received you as our Savior. We didn't care much for you before that day, but after that day, you are the reason that we live. Lord, today, we want the world to know you. Lord, use this little church preaching here in Lantana, Florida. Use this little church to reach the world, Lord. We need you. We need you to do it. I saw I was telling the church earlier this morning, Lord, this is the anniversary of the resurrection. You didn't rise today. You rose 2,000 years ago. And, Lord, we celebrate the anniversary of your resurrection from the dead. And today we're going to preach on it, Lord. Today we're going to hear and understand that you had a reason for coming to pay the debt of our sins for mankind. And all we have to do is believe, receive, and you will come into our hearts and you will make us new creatures. And, Lord, we're just so thankful. Thank you, Lord God, for what you've done for us. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you sent your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for being so obedient to the Father by coming and going through everything you did for us, a price that we couldn't pay. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here today, for coming into our lives, for leading us in the way that we should go as we're here on this earth. Lord, to you be the glory. It's all about you, Lord. It isn't about us. It's us. It's you about you. We're to have a light grip on this world, but our treasure should be in your kingdom. Oh, Lord, open hearts today. Open ears today. Open eyes today that they might understand, see, and hear the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday, I like to say, you know, because Jesus rose many years ago. So listen, happy Easter to everybody. You know, we have a, a message today that's going to be, it's called the, the Greatest Sunday Ever. You know, as I wrote that up, the greatest Sunday ever, I'm thinking it should have been the greatest day ever, you know, because it is the greatest Sunday, but it's also the greatest day ever, what Jesus did for us. For those online that just tuned in, I know some just tuned in, I want you to know that you're listening to the Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're in Lantana, Florida. We're in Lantana, Florida. We're just a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. Uh, I want you to know that we're here every Sunday, not just Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. We're here every Sunday at 10 a.m., and you can hear the gospel preached. We're a full gospel, Bible-believing church, and you can tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m., and we'll be on air. And um, I want you to know you can also do the same thing on Thursday night. We're here Thursday night at 7.15. We also stream that program. We also have a men's Bible study on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., so if you're local, you, you know, come on by. That is not streamed. You know, that is not streamed, but we have a good, a good time there. And uh, the Lord is definitely at work in our little group. There's several churches, uh, re you know, involved, 
There's pastors involved from others' church. There are people even walking off the street like yesterday and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. For all of you, you can meet Max down here in a white shirt. You know, he walked in the door, came to church. He heard the gospel, and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And you know what's cool? I was one, I watched the pure church worship, and his hands are already in the air. <laughs> you know? well, praise God. Praise God. So praise the Lord. Let those things happen at Freedom Church. We're in a little niche where you know, a lot of churches don't hit. You know, um, and, and it has to be because God works at both ends of the candle. I don't care. You know, you could be a big church or a little church. As long as you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to find Jesus as their Savior. And we thank the Lord for all of that. Um, also, on our web, if you go to our website, which is freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org, you can watch our services aired. You can even go into our files and see messages from years back and listen to them. You can, uh, you can see the ministries that we're involved in. You can see, um, you can even give online. Listen, this church is about 10 years old. We've been in this location eight years and a couple of months. We've never taken an offering. There's boxes in the back. We don't pester people for money, unless you know that we need money. I'm under the conviction, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. So as long as he supplies, Freedom Church will be here. So praise God for that. And he has faithfully supplied through you and uh, online, too. We thank you and, uh, for the gifts, the offerings, and even the tithes for people that come to this church, send in every, every month. We're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. And we're glad you're, you're there. So um, tune in next week or even Thursday night at 7, uh, 7.15 and Sunday at 10 a.m. I mentioned earlier to the people that watched online, and a lot of people are YouTubing in or however they do it. I don't really care as long as they hear the gospel of Jesus. You know, I want you to know that today we're having communion since it's Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. We're having communion again for the second time this month, and that's great. You know, um, I want you to know that you should go get a piece of bread. Those of you online, go get a piece of bread or a cracker and get a little bit of juice, and why don't you take communion with us today? We can fellowship even if we're over, over the Internet, you know. You know, I, I just finished a message in Matthew chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, and we find out that Jesus was working, you know, he was raising dead people while he was in this city and they were in that city, Amen. you know. And God does the same here. You know, whether you're taking communion on that end of the line or at this end of the line, we're fellowshipping with one another and with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to invite Grace up. We have a special uh, thing here today that Grace is going to handle for us, and I'll be back up. And we'll jump into our message. Get your Bibles out. We're in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to say that I'm a little nervous, and I want to put that out there in the light so the enemy doesn't use it against me. <laughs> so I welcome everybody here today, and I just want to share with you guys something I'd like to read uh, to everyone. But happy Resurrection Sunday, and we're glad everybody's here. And I just want to... 
do a short prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you, Father, each and every one of us, and especially me, Lord God, and who am I, Father, that you would even use me, Father, on such a glorious day as today, Resurrection Sunday, Father, when we remember what you did for us, like Pastor Joe said 2,000 years ago. So thank you, Lord God, for using every person, Father, that, that just helped with this service today. We thank you, and we give all the glory to you, Lord God, and only to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So many of us sitting here this morning have a loved one or know someone who has gone home to be with the Lord. For some of us, it may be as recent as a few months ago. For others, it may be years ago. But no matter the amount of time that has passed, the pain of losing them is probably just as painful as the very day that it happened. We have days when something will trigger a memory of them, and so we come into remembrance of our loved one. The very memory of them can plunge us back into the hurt of losing them all over again. It can cause a ache inside of us so deep that our desire to just be with that loved one one more time all but crushes us when we realize that this side of heaven, this desire of ours is not possible. But still, we treasure that time of remembrance, no matter the hurt and the tears that come. Moments like those that I just mentioned are what brought about a desire to draw closer to God and to remember and forge in fire the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In my many moments of despair and hurt, my source of strength is Jesus. God chose to give us Jesus, to save us, to redeem us, to give us a hope, an everlasting hope that can only be found in him. For Jesus willingly came and his only desire was to do the Father's will. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should not lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus came to save us, and as a babe, he was born in a manger, and the world was changed. As a man, he walked the world with a heart filled with love and compassion. To some, he was teacher. To some, he was master, healer, brother, son of God, Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. He had those he called friends, but as we all know, he had many who hated who he was and what he taught and still he loved them. And one fateful night, Jesus was betrayed, beaten, scorned, and condemned to die on a cross. But let us remember that before Jesus was betrayed and taken away, he shared the breaking of the bread and prayer with his disciples at the Last Supper. Luke 22:15 through 20 declares this. Then he said to them, 
With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. You see, the Lord's table is all about love. It is a beautiful instruction to love, to love Jesus more than anything or anyone, so that when it comes time to examine our hearts, we can forgive those that perhaps have wronged us, or maybe it is us who has wronged someone. And only a heart given over to Jesus will humbly ask for forgiveness. Our hearts should desire to do just as Jesus instructed his disciples to do at the Last Supper table. Do this in remembrance of me. These beautiful words spoken by our Savior is our personal invitation to remember him as we take of the Lord's Supper. It is a call to action. And so one Sunday morning as I sat in church, things changed for me. The words, remember me, nestled themselves inside of my heart. I sat there overwhelmed with joy, anxiously waiting for the elements to come my way. It was then that I knew that the taking of the bread and cup would no longer be a routine of just going through the motions. My desire was to embrace it and experience it. It would now become an adoring, affectionate experience of remembrance. A remembrance of Jesus, whose passionate love for a lost, hopeless, and broken world saved many a wretch like me. The overflow of his great love for all of us should make its way into our hearts, and a fired-up, fervent desire to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him should cause more than a stir in our hearts. For me, it has caused an overwhelming desire to passionately love my Kingsman Redeemer. On that Sunday morning, in my hands, I held the precious blood that spilled from his body, the cup. In my hands, I held his bruised, beaten, and torn body, the bread. And as I take of the bread and chew and drink of the bitter wine, I remember him. I am reminded of how precious the gift of our salvation is. I remember the cost paid by our Lord Jesus. I remember his death and I am filled with glorious joy as I recall that glorious day of his resurrection. It can get easy to fall into a routine of doing something because it is what we do on the first Sunday of the month. We put all our goodwill and effort into it, and God is so good, so merciful, and so very gracious that he accepts our small offering. But he wants us to walk away with so much more. He wants us to walk away with a remembrance of him. But many times, we leave out our heart. 
We leave out our heart because it has been a while since we last visited and looked upon the cross. It's been a long time since we looked upon those images that cost our Savior so much pain, humiliation, and suffering. He paid a price that we could never pay. He did it willingly, and he did it for all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is my prayer that everyone here today will be attentive to his voice as he tenderly whispers those very same words he spoke to his disciples. Do this in remembrance of me. So that whenever we come together for communion, our experience will be one of a moving, affectionate remembrance of the Holy Word of God, an affectionate remembrance of the healing Word of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. An affectionate remembrance of the grace-filled word of God. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let us leave here changed. Let us recall his word daily. Let us reapply it in our lives daily so that when we come to the table and to the presence of the Almighty, we come with a servant's heart, just as he did. And may we remember and never forget the grace purchased at the expense of Christ's death. As true believers and followers of Christ, we can no longer come to the Lord's table just because it is something that we do on the first Sunday of every month. But rather that as followers of Christ, we come seeking Jesus. We come longing for his presence. We come knowing that he is there, present at the table. And so we take care to prepare our hearts. 1 Corinthians 11, 22, 30 instructs us in this way. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. A heart made right before God is a heart washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, able to love as Jesus loves, and love is what, Jesus, what God wants most from his people. Love for him and love for others. The Lord's Supper is all about love. It started with God loving us so very much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. I pray that when we gather for communion, we all make the choice to approach the Lord's table with heartfelt, ground-shaking gratitude that brings us to our knees at the very remembrance of him. The Lord's Supper was arrayed in his glorious love. And so when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, it was more than an invitation. It was a call to action, 
to each and every one of us sitting here this morning to continue this most sacred and precious ceremony in the future for all generations to come. I pray that God sees our great love for him, and I pray that those that come behind us truly find us faithful. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Yes, the Lord's Supper is all about love. Love in the person of Jesus was present at the Last Supper table, speaking these words of love, salvation, and hope. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. For with this promise, the new covenant fulfilled the old covenant. For present at the Passover table was the perfect Son of God, the Passover lamb sacrificed, Gone forever was the need for a sacrificial system, and engraved in his precious blood was the promise that God makes with all humanity, that if we come to him and repent, he will forgive our sins and restore fellowship with all whose hearts are turned toward him. Jesus Christ, our mediator, redeemer and savior, who shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. The Lord's Supper or communion must not be anything less than a heartfelt remembrance of what Jesus did for all of us. It is to be a joyous celebration of the mercy, grace, and the forgiveness of sins given to us as a result of his sacrifice. His precious blood spilled out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This Resurrection Sunday, we will be having communion together. We will go into a time of remembrance, a time of remembering our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, a time of remembering the grace purchased and so freely given to us at the expense of Christ's death. In just a little bit, a video is going to play, but before it plays, I want to ask that the communion elements be passed out now. Brian will do that if you'll step forward. Thank you. And I also want to ask for those of you watching online, we invite you to come and join us at the table. Take your seat next to the Savior. And remember that hope is not lost because love in the person of Jesus opened the door for all to come, to come and ask freely what you need from him. The Holy Spirit, I pray, will help you to experience the Lord's Supper in a different way, maybe this time with your whole heart. I would like every one of you, as you watch the video, to hold the bread and the cup in your hands. Let us all make our hearts right before the Lord. I pray that your eyes will not look away, but instead be fixed upon the cross as we walk the side of heaven free of that which would have condemned us forever had Jesus not come. Now I know that those watching online are not able to watch the video. And once the video comes on, I'm going to step away from the altar, from the pulpit, so that there will be no distractions, 
so that those watching online are able to fix their eyes on the cross that's on this altar. Pastor Joe will come up after the video is done and he will do com the communion. So let me pray now before the video comes on. Please bow your heads. Father God, we come to you in the glorious name of Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit be present as we celebrate this time of remembering Jesus. We thank you for inviting us to come. We thank you for the grace and mercy poured out on us every day as we are all reminded of just how much Jesus loves us. May all the glory be yours and yours alone, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you.
don't know about you, but my tears, my eyes are watering. <laughs> Your heart should be breaking. Your soul should be trembling at our great and mighty God. It's good to do something like this so that we can really just not take communion elements out of habit, but to do it with a broken heart and a love for our God that that, um, that we all need to have. So this bread represents our Lord's broken body, which you just saw quite bruised at the cross. And the scriptures say that his that he was beyond recognition. He was beat up so bad. And he did that all for us. And by his stripes, you can be healed of your sin and even of, of, of your flesh. Well, let's partake together in remembering our Lord. And this cup represents his blood. Do you know how many people in this world just trample on the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and treat it like it was nothing? This blood washes away your sin. And because of our belief in this precious blood that the Lord shed, we can have eternal life. And therefore, our salvation is sealed by his precious blood. Let's partake together. Lord God, we thank you so much. Jesus, we have no idea really what you have done for us. When we sin, we sometimes take it too lightly. Lord, help us to not sin to the point where we realize that what, what was done to our Lord Jesus because of our sin is to help us along the way to become holy and righteous people to the best of our ability. Not that we can do it, but thank you for providing the way through the broken body and the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Surely, he is the Son of God our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. This is Resurrection Sunday. You know, the scriptures are, are clear about the resurrection. I named this message the greatest Sunday ever. As I said just earlier, the greatest, I should have put the greatest day, but every people will say, well, what was the greatest day? The day he came as a baby or the day he rose from the grave and all these other things in between. But this certainly was the greatest Sunday ever. Lewis is passing out a sheet. This is something that God gave me over the studies in the last couple of weeks just for, for Resurrection Sunday. The Lord gave me these words. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The women are crying. Mary's tears are falling. The disciples are doubting. Hearts are breaking. Despair is broadcasting. It's the greatest Sunday ever, and hearts are beating wildly. Joseph is bringing. The disciples are hiding. 
and the anxiety is haunting. It's the greatest Sunday ever, and the earthquake is happening. The angels are descending. Their countenance is dazzling. They're singing and they're praising, and the soldiers are shaking. It's the greatest Sunday ever, and Jesus is speaking, and Mary is clinging. The women are telling, and the disciples are now believing. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The seal is broken. The stone is rolling. The tomb is opening, and a holy scent is arising. The disciples are entering. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The women are worshiping. Praises are rising. Death is fleeing. Hell is crumbling. And the devil's authority is collapsing. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The priests are bringing, lying and deceiving. Silver is paying, and the soldiers are fibbing. It's the greatest Sunday ever. Angels are speaking. Beauty is emerging. Joy is replacing. The garment of praise is given. Heaviness is leaving. The Father is raising. And the Trinity is reuniting. It's the greatest Sunday ever. Angels are uttering. Jesus is rising. Men are hearing. Believers are seeing and going and telling that He is living. He is forgiving. Heaven's gates are opening. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The Savior is really rising. He is calling, come to me. A new life starting. You who are believing. A new life awaiting. It's the greatest Sunday ever. The tomb is empty. The fragrance is airing. Jesus is knocking. You must be deciding. The Holy Spirit is coming. Now you can really start living. It's the greatest Sunday ever. Sins are forgiven. Our Savior is risen. You are in the valley of decision. Make the decision by simply confessing, simply believing. You can soon be receiving Come and start cleaving, because the Savior is knocking. It's the greatest Sunday ever. And Jesus is saying, I stand at the door knocking. If you are hearing, and then start opening, I will come into your heart. I will live with you, and you will live with me. It's the greatest Sunday ever, church. There is no doubt about it. I want to tell you something. The Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. Without the resurrection, Christianity is useless, as you're going to see as I read from 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection explains the Gospel. The resurrection is the Christian faith. It's not something about the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 through 20. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that God has raised Christ from the dead, whom, we, whom He did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised, if you, for if the dead is not raised then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
Then also who have fallen asleep have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Here's the key, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, your faith is not fruitile. Christ is risen. The resurrection is the gospel. My study here is in Matthew chapter 28. So if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 28. This is the last chapter of the gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it for you, and then we're going to study it. Now, after the Sabbath on the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of God descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are seeking Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is, he is going before you into Galilee, where you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them on the way. Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night, stole away his body while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him, and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this was commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great chapter. I think one of the greatest verses in this chapter, and when we get to 6 and 7, I'll show it to you. I think this is the greatest verse in the Bible. It's actually two verses. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. The Sabbath, of course, is Saturday. It's Saturday evening. 
or Friday evening till Saturday evening. And the, then the first day of the week is Sunday. That's why Christians worship on Sunday. It used to be the last day of the week the Jews, the Jews did it, their Sabbath, to be holy, to act holy, to pray holy, to do everything holy. But that was about it, as you can see by this chapter, because this is the leadership, and they act like a bunch of devils. Listen. The first day of the week, and Jesus is risen, and we Christians celebrate because he is risen on the first day of the week. And isn't it true? God deserves first. Sunday is the first day of the week, and God is from now on given as the worship, the honor, the praise that he's due on Sunday. The women are Mary Magdalene. You can find this in John chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 27. The four women are, are Mary, the mother of Christ, Salome, that's Mary's sister. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, he was the one on the world to Emmaus with the other disciple. And, of course, Mary Magdalene, who he cast seven demons out of. These women were last at the cross, and they're first to the tomb. These women loved Jesus. Because they knew who he was. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. The earthquake is happening, church. That's the second in three days. Get the message. The earth is, is mourning. Now, this, this earthquake, the earthquake had a purpose to get man's attention. Jesus Christ died, the earthquake, mourning, Jesus Christ, you know, earthquake in this chapter is quaking at his rising. The angels are descending. Actually, there's, it says angel, but there are many more angels in this situation. There's angels galore. I can picture it right now. There's two in the tomb. One sits at the head where Jesus lies, and one sat at the feet. Right there, there's three. There's angels descending, not just one angel. The angel rolled back the stone. You know, why did he roll back the stone? Do you know Jesus didn't need that stone to be rolled out? Because he, he could walk out of that tomb with the, stone, with the stone sealed. That tomb, or that stone was moved for us so that we know that he has risen. You go in there, the tomb is empty. And this angel, he sat on it. Listen, this angel... This, this tells you a lot about angels in just this little passage. Number one, they're very strong. You know that stone is said to be at least two tons. One angel moved two tons. Probably went like this. They must have sensed, you know, they must have a sense of humor. The guards are shaking. You know, they sit upon the stone like no big deal. There's a Roman elite soldier over there. Several of them, they don't care one bit. They're... they're they have a sense of humor. In many appearances and the scriptures, they're huge. And we also see that they're radiant. No mention of wings here. Did you notice that? Everybody draws an angel with wings, you know. It always has a female, too. But it never, the angels are never addressed as females, and they're never addressed with wings, except when you enter into the, the third heaven, then you see angels with wings. Seraphim and cherubim. When they come to this place, I think they change their form. That's my opinion. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. 
You know why? Because if you saw something with eyes all over its place and it's moving in every direction and, you know, you're, it's got wings on it, you're saying like, ah, I'm scared. That's why the angels say, fear not. And this is, this is cool because the angels tell them, anybody, even Jesus, when God appears, fear not, fear not. To the believers, it's fear not. To, the, to people that don't believe, they're peeing their pants. Daniel mentions them, and he is speechless when he sees an angel. Listen, Zechariah is gripped with fear when he saw the angel. And the shepherds, they were terrified at the presence of angels. And the soldiers are shaking, and the saints are hearing words, fear not. Here's the greatest verses in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay, and then go and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Come and see. Go and tell. That is the gospel. Come, see, go, tell. This is something the church needs to do today. This is something I need to do. This is something you need to do all the time. God's relying on us. If that command were given to God's holy angels, this worth would have been converted probably in 30 days if not 30 seconds. There are still some that just won't believe. That's a shame. Five things a resurrection proves. Jesus' sacrifice for sin was accepted. Because if, if he wasn't raised from the dead, his sacrifice for our sin, your sin, wouldn't be accepted. But his resurrection tells you that it is accepted. Number two, Jesus is the Son of God. His divinity is proved here. He's declared to be the Son of God, said Revelation 1.4. Number three, Jesus is unique among men. He is risen first from the dead. Yeah, Lazarus was raised only to die again. Jesus is raised to live forever. It's a picture of our future. Number four, Jesus' teachings and words are trustworthy and true. He told us when he walked the earth, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father just but by me. It proves it. He said he would rise the third day, and he did. He said in John chapter 2, you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was speaking of his bodily temple, and he did it. And here's the disciples. They can hardly believe it. Number five, Jesus proves life exists beyond the grave. That means to say this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You don't rot in in the grave here for 10,000 years if the Lord delays. You're alive and well in the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 tells you that. The Lord is going to bring with him those who died in Christ. Well, how? They're in the grave. Oh, he's going to raise their body. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what he's going to do. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They'll be reunited with their spirit. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Yeah, the devil had power pre-resurrection, but we, through Christ, have power post-resurrection. You have power. You saw that little poem there, death is fleeing, hell is crumbling, and the devil's authority has 
has, is collapsing. It's collapsed at this point. It is collapsed. Verses 7 and B and 8. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went. This is the angels were, were told to go tell. So the women went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Explain that one to me. Fear and great joy. I think that's, that's my everyday life. I fear God, but I'm so greatly joyed that I'm saved, that I'm going to heaven. I can't do hell, church. I just couldn't be separated from God that long. And I know I'm a sinner. It's just... I need a Savior, and I'm willing to admit it. And so do you online and those even here today. Jesus is true to his word. He meets them. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 32 says, After I am risen, I will go to Galilee. I will go before you to Galilee. He's telling his disciples before he's dead, before he's crucified, I'm going to go to, to Galilee. You're going to go, go and meet me there, and I'll see you there. Notice the angels are even at this point pointing to Christ. This is the angels telling these women to, to go. The angels are actually always pointing to Christ. He says he is not here. He is risen. They, in, 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 the, in the carnation, you know, the angels singing glory to God in the highest. They're pointing to Christ. In verse 5 of this chapter the angel actually knew that they came to seek Jesus who was crucified. Then he said, you know, come and see. I want to show you. Angels are ready to show everybody that Jesus Christ is Lord. But they haven't been commissioned to do that. You are. I am. Matthew 28, 9 and 10. And as they, the women, went to tell the disciples, behold, look at Jesus meets them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. You know why? You know why I think Jesus appeared to them? They actually obeyed the angels that told them to go. And Jesus was saying, you know, that's our responsibility. We have a responsibility to go and tell, and to, come, to tell people to come and see, to go and tell, and we need to do it. And if you do that, I think you're going to see Jesus show up. Maybe not visibly, but he's going to show up in your heart in such a way that you can't deny. So Jesus meets them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He told them that while he was alive in Matthew 26. Note, notice here that the women are worshipping at his feet. This tells us that he's alive. This revelation requires their obedience. They need to go. They need to go and tell. And they are on their way to see the disciples. Our commission is the last verses of this Bible. We're to go and tell. That's all there is to it. We're not to deny it. We're not to hide from it. We need to do it. Matthew 28, verses 11 and 13. While they were going, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests, all the things that have happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his, his disciples, 
came and stole him during the night while we slept. Yet, over the centuries, they still can't find Jesus' body. It's a fact that he's risen from the dead. 2,000 years now, the, the grave is still empty. The body is missing. All they had to do was provide the body, and Christianity would have never even exist. But it does exist because they can't find the body. And believe me, these chief priests were out to find that body. I can guarantee you that. Maybe even Pilate with his soldiers. How can he find him? Because he's in heaven. He's alive and well. Matthew 28, 14 and 15. And if, he, if this comes to the governor's ears, first of all, I'm thinking like, these soldiers are under Pilate. They're under Rome, yet we get these Jewish heathens that think they know God. They're telling soldiers of Rome what to do. I don't know about you, but I was a soldier. And if somebody told me something to do that was outside the jurisdiction of the United States Army, I would be court-martialed. These, these guys are listening to the chief priests instead of the officers in charge of them. And notice, this: these guards were paid a large sum of money. Okay, you know why? Because there were three days they had posted guards. The guards would be there at least six hours a day, probably at least two, okay? And there was three days worth of shifts. So that's two, four, six, eight times three, 24, 24 soldiers needed to be paid off. And that's just a guess, but they needed to pay off they needed to pay them off, and that was a large sum of money. Because really, because of what happened here, uh, the, the Roman army should have cut off their head for even agreeing with them. We fell asleep. Oh, boy. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I fell asleep in a guard tire one day, and a lieutenant walked up. It happened to be the day that the Pittsburgh Pirates defeated whoever they were playing. 1971 it was. I stayed up all night in that guard tower. The guy who was with me, he slept the whole night. I stayed up the whole time until like 6 in the morning or something like that. And I woke him up and told him, I guarded all night. You guard the last hour or two. During that hour, guess what? That's when the lieutenant shows up. I could have got court-martialed, but I explained it to him, and I guess he let me go. I don't even remember much about it. Oh, I know. If you fall asleep at guard, you could be court-martialed. They weren't worried about Pilate. They were more worried about the chief priest. Explain that one to me. They did as they were instructed, and that's commonly reported today. The Jews are using bribery here. They're breaking the Levitical law. Listen, they're bribing, breaking Exodus 23.8. They're, they're giving false testimony, breaking Exodus 20, verse 16. Their promises, they're, they're giving a promise to manipulate Pilate, which is against Leviticus 19.15. They're manipulating. They're telling people to lie, and they're bribing them with money. These guys are evil, as you already know, because they sentenced, they wanted Jesus sentenced to death. They couldn't remember that he was raising the dead. He was healing the sick. He was cleansing the lepers. The blind were seeing. The deaf were hearing. The mute were speaking. They couldn't see that. All they cared about was their stupid religion. And that's what religion is, church, stupid. 
It gets churches and, and people fighting between one another. We're of one fold. Jesus broke down the middle wall of separation. There should be no Methodists and Catholics and Lutherans and, and uh, churches like us, full gospel. We should be all one in Christ. And quit arguing with, with one another over what we believe and what we don't believe. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. For you to believe that you're right is nothing but pride. And as you well know, Satan remained, was kicked out of heaven because of pride. Pride. But the staff fact still remains, Jesus is written, risen. People say, well, I don't believe that. Josephus writes about it, first century uh, Jewish historian. You know what? Here's what Billy Graham said about it. There is, no, there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. Listen, there's more doubt that Jesus... Uh, Caesar ever lived than, than, than Jesus rising from the dead. Jeez. And that Alexander the Great died at age 33. I told somebody that the other day or a couple weeks ago. I said, yeah, Alexander the Great was dead at 20, 33. They said, what? He conquered the whole world in less than 30 years. I said, he died at 33. There's, there's more information about Jesus Christ than there is about Alexander the Great or Caesar. These are the most accurate writings in antiquity. Right here in your hand. It's the best-selling book of all time. 40, 40 different uh, writers, I believe it is, written over 1,400 years, all agreeing with one another, and they weren't. most of them weren't even contemporaries of one another. This is the greatest book in antiquity. That's why it's the best-selling book in the world, always has been, and probably always will be. Matthew 28, verse 16 and 8 through 18. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke with them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why 11? Jesus, as you know, remember, Judas is missing. He went out and hung himself. It also says, but some are doubting. I'm thinking, well, is this Thomas, or is there still more in this group of 11 that, that don't or still aren't believing? They're doubting. Some of us today, even in the local church, the Christian church, we, we believe Jesus is alive, but we have this doubt. All are worshiping, though. Post-resurrection, pre-resurrection, Jesus Christ is worshiped. They're most likely at his feet. Most likely at his feet. There's no doubt about it. If we go back to the third and fourth verse, these angels, you know, their countenance was 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 um, like lightning, and their clothing white as snow. And the guards shook with fear because of him and became like dead men. You know, I looked that up just to see why they're worshiping at Jesus' feet. I looked that up to find out the word, and they shook with fear. It literally means this. They lost bodily control. That means, 
just as I said earlier, they probably peed their pants. The Roman elite army. Listen, you didn't get stationed in Rome if you weren't a tough soldier. You were the elite. You're like the Green Beret. You're like the Navy SEALs of the time. They lost bodily control. But yet, the believers are consoled. And the unbelievers are in absolute terror. That's why they're worshiping at His feet. That's why we should worship at His feet. These, even the angels are on our side, church. So you, you get attacked by the devil and you want to give up. No. You've got angels that guard over you, according to Psalm 91. We find out that they, they, you know, no harm will befall us if you, if you study Hebrews. No harm will befall you. Listen, they're worshiping at His feet. You know why we should be worshiping at His feet? You know why our hands should be in the air? Because He's the Lord. He's risen from the dead. Nobody else has been risen from the dead. Houdini told his crowd of people, in 25 years after my death, I'll raise myself from the dead. That was like 20 years ago. They're still waiting. You know why? Because nobody else is going to rise from the dead except the Lord God blow that trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we'll be alive and remain. Jesus is the first fruit from the dead. They know who He was. And you too, whether you're over the air or you're here today, you need to worship at His feet. You need to throw your hands in the air and say, Daddy, I worship you. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, pick me up. That's why your hands are in the air. Not just in worship, but Daddy, I want you. Pick me up, Daddy. Here's the commission. You know it well. If you've been in a Christian church long, it's something that I think the church takes too lightly. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe. You have to be taught. Not just receive, but you have to Grow up. You have to be taught. Your dad had to teach you how to walk. Your mommy had to teach you how to put your makeup on. You have to learn. We are learners. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I heard one guy say, you know why I don't follow Jesus? Because he said, or he said, you know why I'm afraid to fly in the airplane? He said, because Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always. Yeah, kind of stupid, right? <laughs> you know what? He's with you all, whether, whether you're low or high, whether you're worshiping at his feet, whether your arms are in the air, he's there. You were told to make disciples. Once you begin to believe, then you have to be, you have to learn. You just can't say, I believe, and that's it. Gee, who is it? Billy Graham at the end of his crusades always says, come as you are. But if you come as you are, you cannot stay as you are. Because if you truly made a commitment, you will change the minute that prayer was prayed inside your spirit alone. Your spirit will actually come to life. Your spirit, man, your body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit, man, is actually dead, even though you're alive. 
Until you're born again, that spirit does not come alive. Once you come, once you're born again, immediately when you pray that prayer, if you prayed it with all of your heart, there's where everybody gets messed up. They think sit there and go, oh, just pray this prayer. No, you gotta believe in your heart. You gotta confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You just can't say a prayer and all of a sudden you're you're saved because your prayer meant absolutely nothing unless you believed in your heart. He said, make disciples. And that, that's telling you something here. It's no longer just to go to the Jews. It's to go to the entire world. In John chapter 3, you know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. That means the people in the world. Those who were his own prior to that did not receive him. But all that did receive him, he became, they became children of God. We see the Trinity in this verses, as you well see. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And people, people deny it. Even some churches, they say they're, they're, they're actually not really churches. They're, they're uh, what do they call them when you don't believe in the Trinity? Uh, I slipped my mind. What? Cult. cult. There you go. Happens all the time. I don't know. They're a cult. They don't believe it. It's, it's proven. Jesus walked on the earth. He healed people. He died on the cross. He rose the third day. And you have to, you say that he didn't come as a person? Come on. It's a cult. You've got to watch yourself. Listen, make disciples, not limited to Jesus. Anyone who really, really believes with their heart. And the Trinity is seen here Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I showed you in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 the Father, the Spirit, the God created the heavens and the earth. Then we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the earth. And then in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1, we see the Lord spoke and said, Let there be light. And you've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit in those three verses. Right off the bat, the Bible tells you there is a trinity. There is a trinity. In the beginning, God created. The Spirit hoovered over the face of the water. And then God spoke, let there be light. Jesus is the Word of God. Right there, trinity. Loud and clear. People don't see it. They're blind. You know why? They just grab the Bible and they start reading. And they don't read with any consciousness. They read too fast. You're going to study the Word of God and approve yourself, handling accurately the Word of truth. The assignment here is the command, and we know that command well. We're to go and pass out the information. Everybody in this church is commissioned to do this, not just the pastor. A lot of people say, I'm going to bring my, my aunt to church next week. Pastor, would you lead her to the Lord? I'm saying, that's your job. I mean, I'll be glad to do it. But Rhett, you should be well-versed in the Scriptures enough to lead that person to Christ or at least plant seeds until they get here. It's not my responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. Pass on the information. He's alive, and they can be forgiven, and heaven's gate is open wide. Not gates, gate. One gate. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ, because he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is one mediator between God and man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, church, 
This is Resurrection Sunday. This is Easter Sunday. This is a time when, when, when people, the Lord Jesus is knocking on your heart because it's the first time you've come to church, maybe in 20 years. The roof isn't going to fall in. I'll tell you what's happening. In heaven, the angel's going, Hey, Jim's coming to the church. Jesus is knocking. It's time for you to start cleaving to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for you to start believing. It's time for you to start receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart, believe in your heart, not with your head. It doesn't say believe with your mind. It says believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. It says, but as many as received him. That means you have an action to do. You have to ask him to come in. Jesus says, I stand at your door of your heart and I knock. If any man open that door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. That means I'm going to have fellowship with you and you're going to have fellowship with me every day of your life because you're a believer. So are you ready to come as you are? For those of you, I look around in this church and I see everybody and I know you all and I, from the best of my ability, you're a Christian to me. But God truly knows, not me. Once you come as you are, if you said that prayer 20 years ago and you still are the same foul, vicious person you were when you prayed it and you're still the same, you know what? You did it with this and not this, and you'll miss heaven. So come as you are. So what does Easter mean to you? To me, it means it's time for everybody to come to Jesus. It's time that, that his presence in your life make a difference in your life. It's time to, for you to have a new life. It's time for you to have set new moral and standard goals to live by. It's time for you to, to, to get true freedom, not partial freedom, you're free from sin because of what Jesus did. You're no longer in bondage anymore. You need to come to him. You need to free, free yourself to live a joyful life. What does a resurrection mean to you? It should mean your salvation was paid in full by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, you need to find that out. You need to get on your knees. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. For those of you online, you need to get on your knees or you need to stand up or sit in your wheelchair or on your bed and you throw your hands up to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe that Jesus is alive and well. I accept him as my Savior. I accept your gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's all you have to do. And if you did it with your whole heart, you will be saved. Well, church, happy resurrection. Sunday. Happy Easter. And may you go out of this place hearing what the Holy Spirit has said in so many ways to so many different people. And once you hear it, obey it and follow after the Lord. Father, we come in the name of Jesus to you. We thank you, thank you, thank you for our salvation paid for in full by our Savior Jesus Christ. We praise you for raising him from the dead. Lord God, we love you with all of our heart. Lord, today, may we really begin to live and use us in a mighty way to preach the gospel to an unsaved world, to stand up boldly 
before in your name before men and to you be the glory for it all in Jesus name amen amen God bless you everybody I love you all